Hello, this is the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast, and I'm your host, Jill Weber. I'm here today with Pete Gregg, who is the accidental founder of 24-7, member of the Order of the Mustard Seed, and a proud dog daddy to Crumble. Crumble's here with us as well. Yeah. <laughs> you might hear the old snuffle or squeak. <laughs> And uh, we're going to have a conversation today uh, about the question of vows. Um, People who are looking into the order of the mustard seed and and, uh, just inquiring often ask the question, why take a vow? And uh, so we just thought we would have a chat about that. So Pete, why a vow? (laughs) Well, the first thing to say is it's a really good question because the Bible says we shouldn't enter into covenants or vows lightly or unthinkingly Um, and of course we live in a culture where you know fewer and fewer people do make covenant commitments and sadly many people break their covenants when they do marriages increasingly are are falling apart doctors fewer and fewer of them take the Hippocratic oath Mm. you know so so wherever we look in society um, I think particularly amongst millennials uh, people are scared of commitments and like a vow is the big ugly gnarly kind of commitment it's a promise so um, so yeah I, I, I think it's a, it's a good question to ask and um, an understandable one shall I say why? sure let's give us the lowdown well first of all I think I think covenants are biblical and we want to be rooted in, in, in a biblical paradigm these are Dogs barking. Should I? <laughs> it's right. Should I get them in, or should we just keep talking? <laughs> well, let's keep talking. Okay. Uh, it's like Doctor Doolittle, right? Now. <laughs> no, uh, covenants are are, are are biblical, and of course, you'll know that that right the way through the story of God, you find it is shaped by covenants. One of the um, hermeneutical tools we can use for interpreting the Bible is covenant, the promises of God, the promise to Abraham, you know, the promise to Noah with the rainbow, the, the promise to uh, Moses, the promise to David, which, you know, and ultimately Jesus himself in, his, in, in the cross opens covenant relationship for us. So, so this is a really biblical thing. And then beyond uh, Jesus, you know, you, you, you see that Paul shaves his head, the Apostle Paul shaves his head at Ken Korea in Acts 21 um, as a sort of oath, a covenant with God. So this is this is a really, like, normal and, and biblical thing to do. And, well, also, yeah. the Nazarite vows as well. I mean, Dun- we see that in the Nazarites, not drinking and not cutting their hair. And there was one other. What was the other? Not cutting their hair. Not drinking and... No, I don't remember. They weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. Okay. But go. that's not one that most of us struggle with, so we don't bother <laughs> remembering that one. Um, yeah, so it's, it's right the way through the, the, the Bible. And in fact, there isn't really, there wouldn't be a Christian faith without covenant. And I, I love to think, and it, I think it's pretty helpful as we think about, you know, vow taking in the OMS context, that the Hebrew term for, 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 for covenant, they talked about cutting a covenant, because they did this very gory thing back in the in in the days of the Old Testament. They would take a an animal, a dead animal, a sheep or a bull or whatever, and they would cut it end to end in half and lay the two halves out, 
And then when they were striking a covenant with someone, they would walk between the two sides of the halved animal through the blood. Mm. And then they would cook it, cook it up and they would give one half to God as a burnt offering and eat the other half and have a feast. So fast forward that um, image and think about Jesus breaking the bread in half mm. and saying, my, this is my body broken for you. The, the disciples understood this was covenant cutting language. And then he makes it explicit and he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. So he was saying, I'm going to reenact this. And then Jesus himself on the cross is torn apart. And we walk through his body, through his blood, into covenant relationship by which we worship God in, in burnt offering and we feast together with God at his table. So it's mm. a beautiful biblical concept. And um, I'm not talking specifically about the OMS vow, but we've got to understand bottom line to be a Christian is to be caught up in a covenant making, covenant keeping enterprise. Mm-hmm. So it's biblical to begin with. Secondly, yes, it's also countercultural. I mean, it's, this stuff is terrifying, as, as, as I said at the start, for many of us. You know, millennials, the, the cliche is, is that they're afraid of missing out, but also millennials are afraid of commitment. So if you put those two together, it's a, it's a funny old mix. And um, I think there's something prophetic, therefore, about saying, I believe a thing enough to make a, a, a promise to it. And I think the world is increasingly so chaotic that a covenant commitment puts boundedness on the chaos. Um, you said a thing, Jill, uh, when we were in Vienna last month about um, how sometimes God calls us to take a vow not just for ourselves, but actually for other people. And I suppose I can talk in a minute about how meaningful my own vow has been in my own spiritual formation but maybe even out of my vows. And I was so scared when I first made those oh, promises. I was oh. terrified. <laughs> I thought, what am I doing back in 2005 in Holy Trinity Church Clapham? A hundred of us took the vow for the first time. And, um, but I think, I think, you know, we were doing something that has sent out ripples and has been maybe valuable to other people and not just to ourselves. We definitely didn't understand that at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's countercultural and it's biblical. How is it transformational? You know, we, we have to build our lives on the rock, on things that are solid and absolute. And so we have to work out what are those actuals, those solid things. Otherwise, we're just the victims of caffeine and the weather and hormones, right? and vaguely trying to be Christians. But, but, but actually, um, to, to make promises gives, if you like, bed and banks to the stream. It helps us work out how to live day to day. And so I certainly audit my life around being true to Christ, kind to people, gospel to the nations. Um, and the one I fail at most is definitely the second one how about you well, yeah always kindness is, is the most care. difficult isn't it yeah and sometimes my wife sammy she actually just became a, a member of the order a, a year or so ago 
but before that she would sometimes if we were having a row or whatever she'd say that wasn't very kind and she knew that word kind was like loaded for me and I kind of winced but now she can't do it because I could say it back to her which I'm too godly to do it but but um, th- th- those three things affect the, the way I, I live, the way I pray. Um, and then, you know, we've got those kind of six outworkings of the vows. And I think that's where it gets really practical for me, because when I start talking about being true to Christ is about my prayer and worship life and it's about creativity. I, I love that I don't have to justify creativity. Mm. Actually, this morning I spent half an hour doing something that was basically creative and there's a, a sort of inner Pharisee going, you're wasting your time. But I, 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 this is part of my vow, really. So you've been permissioned. Yeah, that's sense. right. It's given me yeah. space, I think so. Um, hospitality, uh, mercy and so on. And I think, you know, in my leadership responsibilities, and I think this would apply to someone leading in a business environment, not just the church, I'm able to audit and even budget around these values. You know, if if someone wants to spend money on hospitality, I'm predisposed. I don't need that to be justified to me. I know that is a, a, a core value for me. Or if there's one of the six practices that are consistently missing from our church life here at Emmaus, um, th- then that's, that's a red flag to me. I don't mind them being missing for the odd year. You can't do everything full on all the time, but... But you do want to keep coming back and saying, how are we doing on those six practices? Mm-hmm. So it's been personally very helpful and, 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 and helpful for me, me as a leader. And I, I um, you, you know, I, I, I've entered into four covenants in my life. One was um, when I got married, my covenant to Sammy. And that has definitely helped me stay married. Yeah. Um, I'm not just it, it kind of holds us doesn't it when we feel like we're falling to bits or yeah you know it's yeah so. yeah there, there are times where it's not a very biblical phrase but it's a very biblical concept that real faithfulness is just pure bloody mindedness sometimes you know Eugene Peterson took that Nietzsche line as the title of one of his books a long obedience in the same direction and you better know you better have some compass points if you're going to keep going in the same direction, you better know you're walking in the right direction. I think covenant helps us to do that. Then secondly, I, I, I entered into a covenant, obviously, when I became a Christian. The trouble is no one told me it was a covenant. And that's one of the reasons I find my OMS vow helpful, because actually I'm, if you like, activating or acknowledging the covenant that I've come into when I got saved. Mm. But we tend not to talk in these terms. And I think some of that's understandable. Our culture doesn't really understand covenants, certainly not in that carcass-cutting way anymore. <laughs> and then the third covenant um, that, that I entered into was, uh, I made a thing that was called my Joseph Covenant, and it was in a particular place that I, I'm i actually going to be walking to in a couple of weeks' time. It's, it's going to be a full day's walk from here, but there's a bench on a hill where when I was 18 I made a promise to God and I said that he could do anything he wanted mm. to help me get straight uh, in my life. Um, I, I, but I wanted, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to, to resemble him. And that was deeply painful because he took me seriously and definitely took me in some challenging places. And so I'm going to journey back to that bench on a little pilgrimage in a couple of weeks' time for my 50th birthday alone 
even if it's raining as it does sometimes in November <laughs> in England. And then the final covenant, of course, is, is my OMS promise. And, uh, uh, and, and in a way, that sums all the other covenants up, actually. Mm-hmm. So what's it been like for you not only to have made covenants, but to make covenants in, within communities? So you're not the only one who's taken the OMS value. You're amongst probably now a couple of hundred men and women globally who've stepped into that shared commitment. What does that, what does that mean for you? How does that strengthen you on your journey? I think it's essential, isn't it? You remember that lovely old youth group analogy of, you know, coals in a fire go red hot, you take the coal out and it it stops being red hot and we need each other. Um, I think a lot, Jill, about the juxtaposition of that verse in Ephesians that says, speak the truth in love. Stir one another up. And then 1 Peter, I think it's 4, that says, love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm. And as I try and outwork my vow in community, I'll often be thinking, is this a love covers or a love confronts moment? Mm. Is this a time to um, go to someone else and, 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 and challenge them? Or is this a time to be kind and uh, just say, I love them. I don't mind. They're not perfect. And I, I think people do that for me as well. And I have a little, tiny little cohort that after all these years, since 2005, I still meet with on the anniversary. And we always apologise where we failed and renew our covenant each year. And that's deeply meaningful. Hmm. I wonder sometimes, too, when I I think of the larger commitment or the larger community around the Order of the Mustard Seed, when you think about communion of saints and, and what does it mean for us having actually coming into agreement with Zinzendorf, you know, back in, I guess, in 1716 when he started the order and gathered his friends around him and stepped into this place of these shared commitments and these shared practices. Yeah. In a sense, and I mean, what we saw through that, how God used that to, to create this beautiful, prayerful, missional community of, of Hernhut and to take the gospel beyond. And it feels for me a little bit like we, we get to to access the grace that was poured out in that moment. There's something for us there beyond even our own experience, beyond even our own generation. It's almost like a, an ancient well that we get to drink from as we come into agreement and pray in agreement yeah. with Zinzendorf and join in agreement with yeah. the, the commitments that he set for his life. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I think, you know, maybe one of the reasons there's such spiritual warfare around making covenants um, is that they're so powerful. And frankly, the enemy doesn't doesn't want us to to make promises. And but I think if we get the architecture of our own hearts right in covenant making, that then spans out into sometimes literal architecture, as it did for Zinzendorf with mm. villages, literal communities, not just in in Germany but in America, that he designed ba- really an extension in physical form of this vow. And then obviously there was a, a communal architecture in terms of the way their whole community life operated. And then there's an architecture in time as well, that here we are, all these hundreds of years later, still in the halo effect of the promises that those students at Wittenberg made. Yeah. And so we take our place, as you say, in the communion of saints, not just stretching out around the world, but stretching right back, actually before Zinzendorf to Christ holding up the cup and saying, this is the new covenant in my, 
in my blood and we activate the power of that. So it's no wonder there's a battle around the architecture of the heart when the potential of that is to create vast architecture into many lives that is very physical, very tangible and can actually outlast our own life. Mm-hmm. Into the next, into the next, into the next generation. Yeah. World without end. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so Pete, can you pray for us? You're for so liturgical, <laughs> Jill. It's like, it's like a conversation with you ends up in, in, in liturgy. Yes, I'd love to pray. Lord Jesus, this stuff, we understand it's biblical. We understand that it's uh, powerful, but it's also scary, especially in the culture that we live in. Lord, if we're honest, we're afraid of failing you. We're afraid of breaking our promises. We're afraid of getting controlled. Please help us to understand that the safest place we can possibly be is in the heart of your covenant commitment to us. And help us to respond to your absolute promise with our own amen. And would you bless these dogs barking (laughs) all around us. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Order of the Mustard Seed podcast. For more information about the order, you can find us at orderofthemustardseed.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. May God grant us grace as we follow his invitations to be true and to be kind and to go. 